Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Lord, that's our prayer. Not asking you to do it, you're doing it. Our prayer is, Lord, help us to hear what you have to say. Know that you care about us one by one by one. That you come and speak to us. Just as you have through the music we've heard, the words we've heard and seen, just the very movement of your living spirit amongst us. So for this morning, one more time we ask you, Lord, I ask you to take my lips and speak through them. That you would take our minds and think through them that you would take our wills and bend them to your own, and that you would take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, as I got here this morning, on the early side, there was a family came in right beside me in their car, two little girls, twin girls, They were Pastor Doug Rarig's children, and his wife was driving the car. And as they got out, I said to them, what on earth are you doing here this time of the morning? They were here early. And they said, we are here to set up for a surprise birthday for Pastor Mike Kepfer, who runs our children's ministry. It's his birthday today. And this family had arrived here early, Pastor Doug's wife and kids, to help prepare for the celebration, a surprise celebration, of Mike Kepfer's birthday. And I said, you know, I'm here to celebrate and be talking about a birthday, a born-again birthday. The people here are going, it's going to happen this morning. Like a newborn baby born. We're going to have a born again birthday party. And you heard read to us Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. (laughs) My wife, who is kind of cool and cute, said, you should call this sermon Nick at Night. (laughs) never ever thought of that before Nicodemus coming at night now this Nicodemus and let, let me just fill in some blanks for you when it said he was a Pharisee a Pharisee named Nicodemus that was an elite group of guys never more than sounds like a big crowd 6,000 but that was in the whole land of Israel And it was a kind of fraternity, a brotherhood. 
And they, to become part of that, would commit themselves before two or three witnesses to absolutely give themselves for a lifetime to understanding and living out God's laws and rules and regulations. Now, what you probably don't know is that, for instance, the single commandment of the law that you will keep holy the Sabbath day, that took hundreds of pages, thousands of words, as with something called the Mishnah, which was explaining the Torah, Jewish words, what it meant to keep the Sabbath. It is said of one rabbi, for instance, there being about 140 chapters in the Mishnah about the Sabbath, that he spent two and a half years studying just one of those chapters about the laws pertaining to, that's the rules and regulations, explaining what it meant to keep the Sabbath, thereby how you were going to break the Sabbath. Let me tell you an amazing thing. If you ever get to come to Israel with us and you stay in a hotel, on the Sabbath day, if you, you're there over a week, so you're always going to be in a hotel somewhere on a Sabbath day. So you've got 30, 40 floors in a hotel in some instances, very big hotels for me, sort of people like us who are coming to check out the Holy Land. On the Sabbath day, there is one of the elevators that all the Jews will ride on. Because you don't have to press the button on the elevator to go up and down. It stops at every floor. And woe betide you if you're on the 30th floor and that's the elevator you get on. You only ever do that once. <laughs> all the other elevators are for the Gentiles like you and me where you... It's not illegal to press the button. It, it is astounding the minutiae by which they define the Sabbath. I don't have time. I could spend another half an hour talking about it because it's so overwhelming. Now listen. Nicodemus was one of those committed brothers, a holy fraternity committed to all the minutiae of the rules and regulations. It also said that he was part of the ruling council, the Jewish ruling council. That's called the Sanhedrin. Now that was a body of just 70 men, 7-0, and he was one of them. This guy was Jewish aristocracy. When it says of him he was a Pharisee and a member of that ruling council, he was amongst an elite group, amongst all elites. So he was a very unlikely person to be coming, checking out Jesus. As you heard, he came at night. I always simply suspected the reason he came at night was that nobody would see him coming to spend time with Jesus. Because everybody would know who he was. It would be plain that given his garb and his stature 
and his place in the community that he was talking to Jesus. Because you know, if you've read any of the Gospels, the Pharisees were always talking down on Jesus because he met with sinners and ate with them. He hung out with the kind of people they'd never have anything to do with. In fact, the word Pharisee in the original language literally means a separated one. They didn't touch the unholy crap in this world. They didn't hang out with filthy, rotten people who Jesus seemed to have a preference for. And they liked him. But the holier-than-thou crowd hated Jesus. Isn't that a strange phenomenon? They hated him. They were the ones who manipulated everything to get him crucified. So this guy was such an unlikely guy to be coming to see Jesus. I suppose all of us would count ourselves pretty much the other end of the spectrum. I know I would and still do. I need Jesus. I am a screwed up, messed up sinner, but redeemed by grace. Jesus came into my life when I was 18 years of age at a big meeting in London, like about 10, 15,000 people at that meeting, but I was just one guy, but it was like the preacher, Billy Graham, was speaking just to me. Like a magical moment. When he asked us to come forward and give our lives to Jesus, I was one of them. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. But no less now than then do I need Jesus to be a part of my life. To see me day by day through the stuff I have to deal with in life. And often it is the people who've really given themselves to try and be good. Although it was C.S. Lewis, very famous author, who once said, nobody knows how bad they are until they've tried to be good. And I gave my best shot to try and be good, and it was hopeless, because I am instinctively, everything about me, heads in the wrong direction. And Jesus came looking for me. Well, when this man came to see Jesus, you know, you could have had a conversation with Nicodemus that would have gone on forever, going around all the edges of all the issues for all the little laws and all the little rules about how you should live. And what Jesus did was cut through it all. Because Jesus, as Nicodemus came and said to him, look, we know you must be from God, for no one can do what you're doing unless God were with him. Jesus had been doing all kinds of miracles. And he knew about it. He also knew about his cleaning out the temple. And he recognized that that may be some kind of like prophetic move. So he was curious. But the other reason I think he came at night was this. Not just to come in secret so that no one would see him, but to have significant one-on-one -on -one time with him. Not just a voice in the crowd calling out some question, which was often the case, but to sit down with him and ask him some questions. 
Isn't that amazing that Jesus is available? He's available to us. He's not hit and run. We're hit and run. We're hit and miss. But Jesus, you've got, he's got time for you. He makes time for you. One of the amazing things about the life of Jesus is this. And you're, you get into the gospel narrative and you read it and you will spot something that most of the miracles Jesus did are most of the teaching by which he gave real speeches about what life is all about happened while he was on his way to something else. It wasn't like he set up meetings and he said, well, this is my time to do this and this is my time to do that. He's available to the people. And while he was on his way to go see one sick person to heal them, other people came up and whether they grabbed a hold of him, touched his cloak, said, please come to my house, he was always available. And much of what he did in the Gospels is while he was on his way to do something else. Jesus has got time for us here this morning. For you, just you. It's like he came to meet with just you. So Nicodemus, in meeting Jesus, met a, the Lord who cut through all the garbage, all the little minutiae, and went right to the very heart of the matter. Often that's how he just comes right at us and deals with it. And this is what happened. Nicodemus says, you've got to be great, you've got to be God's man because of what you're doing. And Jesus simply said, look, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I think my translation says, yes, born again. It can also mean born from above. It's like being made new, but it's God who does it. Born from above. We know the phrase born again. It literally means being made new, a new creation, a new life. Back in the old days when we had a phone on the wall in the kitchen with a long lead on it so that you could walk around doing stuff in the kitchen and keep talking. That phone rang. I took it off the hook and said, hello, John Guest speaking. I mean, here. He said, she said, it was a she. She said, is this the John Guest who was preaching in Kiev? At the Arca, there was this fabulous big stone auditorium outdoors. Back in, and she's mentioned the year. This was several years ago, I got the call. Are you the John Guest who was there? I said, I am. She says, praise the Lord. She had an accent. Now, I immediately spotted it as either Ukrainian or Russian. Vojgavari Paruski. You know, you, you learn some Russian. I recognize the accent. She said, praise the Lord. She said, I was at the Arca. And as you were speaking, I was born, born, born from above. And she said, and I'm Jewish. That was a double exaltation for me. <laughs> Jewish woman believing in Jesus 
and describing it as being born from above. And she thanked me for being there and for preaching. She was visiting in the USA. She wasn't calling from Kiev. Born from above, made new, transformed. And here she was try, taking the trouble to try and find me. I don't know how on earth she got it done in those days before we had cell phones and all the stuff that you can check out and find people by. But she did and thanked me for being there. It's a miracle that God pulls off. Well, when Jesus said that, and you heard the story, just as Robbie was reading it, and you saw it up on the screen. Not only did Nicodemus not get it, he was so literal, he said, do you mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb as a grown man and be born again? Jesus said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know what this means? Unless you are born again, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. The way in is through a new birthday, a spiritual birthday experience. And he explained it in three or four different ways to Nicodemus. In the first place, he said, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Well, the water represents cleansing, washing, being forgiven, being made new. So all the guilt and filth and rubbish of your life is forgiven. And to be born again spiritually means to receive a whole new life, which later on he describes as eternal life. To believe on him, Jesus, is to receive the gift of eternal life. That is a spiritual new birth. It's not a matter of just getting rid of the rubbish that defiles us, but to have a new spiritual life that gives us a sense of innocence and beautiful innocence, not just holier-than-thou innocence, not a kind of judgmentalism that we think we're perfect. We know it's a gift that God gives to us. Interestingly, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, was a Pharisee. And he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning all the ritual of those regulations, I was perfect. I don't know how anybody could say that, given how massive the task would be. But he said, when I came to Jesus and he came to me and filled me with himself, I received, listen to these words, they're magnificent. I received a righteousness which was not by my own achievement, but a righteousness that was a gift of God to me. I was made a new creation. And he said, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a gift. Instead of giving a lifetime to try and keep all the rules and regulations, which none of us in the West would even begin to do, 
to come to Jesus, be washed and made clean, and have him, Jesus himself, come and take up residence in us. Remember, if you were here last week, our bodies are described now as, if we have Christ in us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his. He dwells within us. He comes into these hovels of our lives and turns them into, in God's eyes, a mansion, a palace. What is really sad is so many of us who get close to Jesus live way below our potential because God has got a life that is abundant. Jesus said, I've come that you might have a life that's full and absolutely full of fullness. That's what he came for. And it's his spirit that gives us a new birth. The beauty of innocence. From time to time, I have to tell you, when I see a little baby and I'm even like up here dedicating or baptizing one of your children, I think that lovely little baby is one day going to grow up and be like us. And that's a depressing thought what that pure, lovely little baby is going to be. Because we were all once one of those little babies. And mama, look at me now. But in Christ, we are made new. The old has gone, and the new has come. That's what Jesus explained to Nicodemus. A miracle of miracles. Nicodemus became a follower. He turns up later in the gospel as one who went and took the body of Jesus, recovered it after it was executed, and bought with his own hard, I presume, earned money, all the embalming fluids and ointments that the body of Jesus was going to need. Strange to say, Just like he was in a borrowed grave, he only needed it for a couple of nights. And embalming his body would have been a waste of all that ointment. Because ain't no grave going to keep his body down. And when we are in Christ, that's the hope of glory that we have. And Nicodemus, even later on than that, spoke up on behalf of the apostles who were in trouble with the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel. Right there in the heart of things in Jerusalem. Just when they thought they'd gotten rid of Jesus, he turns up alive again, and these chaps are out there talking about it, and people are becoming believers by the thousands. Nicodemus was there to watch out for them in the Sanhedrin. This self-righteous aristocrat of the Jewish faith became a follower of the Messiah, Jesus. There's one other illustration that's used. And Nicodemus would have gotten it immediately, and so will many of you. Jesus went on to say that as the serpent, the snake, was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. What was he talking about? Well, the children of Israel in the wilderness 
having come out of Egypt. And we talked about that last week just because that is the occasion of the Passover, which Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate. And that's when Nicodemus got a hold of him while he was in Jerusalem. So he never let that opportunity slip by because Jesus wasn't that often in Jerusalem and available. In the wilderness, because of the erratic, fickle, two-minded, limping along, two-faced nature of the people in the wilderness who'd just been rescued from Egypt, God sent snakes amongst them that were biting them and they were getting very ill and dying. And Moses said, have you brought us out here into the wilderness to kill us? He said to God. And God said, you make a bronze serpent hoisted up on a stake and those who look to it, who've been bitten and are dying, will have life. And Jesus said, just like that, the Son of Man, himself Jesus, will be lifted up those who look to him will not perish, will not die, will not go to hell, but have the gift of life here abundant and the gift of eternal life beyond the grave. Nicodemus got it. Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Remember, Christ, our Passover, our Passover, he's our Passover, has sacrificed himself for us. There was a guy, and I don't know who you know who would represent this, but we should ourselves be so obviously transformed by Jesus in us that we become the greatest advocate or visual, visual reality that Jesus is for real. That's what we should be. The greatest evidence for the reality of the Christian faith should be the believer in Jesus and the fellowship of the family of the Christian church. People should come in here and think, these people are different. This is a different scene. You bring people and wow. They say, this is something. I'd like to get in on this. I would like to be one of you all. How do you get there? And they find Jesus. Because it's that simple to get to know him. But you and I are the message. Not just verbally, but by our lives. We're the message as well as the messenger. That others may come to know this Jesus. And be born again, born from above. And if you're the one person sitting here this morning, Jesus is looking for you. One by one, just like Nicodemus, just like Saul of Tarsus, one by one, he's here for you. Let's talk to him now, okay? See him coming to you. Have you got that aching longing for a new beginning, a new day, a new birthday? This could be your birthday into the kingdom. This very day, you mark the date, remember it. If you are that one person who says, I need you, Jesus, and he comes to you, he knows what you've been doing with your life, he knows the struggles you've had morally, intellectually, relationally, he knows you, 
And he desires to come and take up residence in you and give you a whole new beginning. So in your own heart, if you are that one person, say to him, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. All that I've done and said and thought, the people I've hurt, the misery I've created, the misery that I am, the stuff that's been done to me by other miserable wrecks in life. Lord, come, forgive me, transform me, set me free, fill me with your spirit, drive out the darkness, the aloneness, the ache and the pain, and fill me with your joy and your peace and your purpose. Give me that hope. Ain't no grave going to keep my body down. Give me that vision of a new life with you, Lord Jesus, and seal it to me. Give me that internal conviction that today I belong to you and you belong to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.